Well, I did promise last week, I'm a bit like an economist, aren't I? My promises are kind of just approximate. I did promise last week that we'd do Revelation 18 today. Um, but Jeanette reminded me earlier in the week that the children were going to stay in. And I thought, you know, Revelation 18, it's a bit gory. It might not be appropriate for me to um, focus on Revelation 18 uh, with children here. As it turns out, there's plenty of children of God, but not too many uh, natural children here this morning. Um, But anyway, that's fine because I decided I'd engage in one of my passions and talk about prayer. And... uh, most of you know I've got a PhD in economics and I've got an interest in statistical research. I've done a bit and had it published myself. I've taught statistics and uh, econometrics, which is statistical analysis applied to economic issues. And one of the things that occurred to me years and years ago was, well, I wonder about doing a big statistical study on prayer and see if it works. And... Uh, So I got to thinking about, well, how would you actually design a robust statistical study to determine whether or not prayer works? Because if you could prove that prayer worked using statistical analysis, that would kind of be a good smack in the gob for the atheist, wouldn't it? Well, it actually turns out that people have been researching the connection between prayer and miracles for quite a long time. We pray, of course, not because of what we might read in some highfalutin academic journal, or we might read a report of research done by university academics or experts of some other kind. We pray because we read in the Word of God that we can pray for anything. And if we have faith, we will receive it. We pray because we read in God's word that you can ask for anything in Jesus' name and he will do it so that he, the son, can bring glory to God. Well, I had a look, I started looking and I discovered that Way back in 1872, Darwin's cousin, Francis Galton, had actually published what was for then a fairly robust statistical study. (coughs) Uh, The title of this paper was called Statistical Enquiries into the Efficacy of Prayer. It was published in 1872, so well over 100 years ago, nearly 150 years ago. Um, this is the table that he published. I modified it in just a, a very minor ways, but this is essentially the, the data he published. The, the numbers there refer to males. They must have only kept good data on males back then. I guess women didn't matter much. I don't know. But anyway, these were records of male deaths and the average age at death. The column marked eminent men is people who were kind of at the top of their profession. So in clergy, it would have been, say, bishops and archbishops and so on. And um, his hypothesis was that if prayer worked, 
then because the sovereign receives public prayer continuously, then they shouldn't be dying of sickness and disease. And by the way, they, the results were purged of accidental um, death or murder, right? So these were, in a sense, the average age of death through what we call natural causes. And because in the church back then, every Sunday, everybody in church would pray for the sovereign, right? And they'd pray for people like the Prince of Wales and all these senior royals. And Dalton reasoned that, well, if prayer worked, because these people get more prayer than anybody else, they should live longer. And what he actually found was that of all of those ways of life for which data had been collected, and these were mainly people in the that sort of upper uh, echelons of society, the, the, the sovereigns, those in the royal household, they actually had the lowest average age, 64. So his conclusion was, well, prayer doesn't really work. He said this, the sovereigns are literally the shortest lived of all who have the advantage of affluence. The prayer has no efficacy unless the very questionable hypothesis be raised that the conditions of royal life may naturally be yet more fatal and that their influence is partly, though incompletely, neutralised by the effects of public prayers. He went on to say, well, there's, there's some evidence... And he said, well, let's have a look and see what insurance companies do because if prayer works, then insurance companies should be offering lower premiums, say, on, on the lives of those who pray or lower uh, insurance costs for, for the cargo on ships where people are covering the ship in prayer. Well, this is what he says. If prayerful habits had influence on temporal success, it is very probable that insurance officers, at least of some descriptions, would long ago have discovered and made allowance for it. But they didn't. Life insurance companies weren't offering people a discount on life insurance if they prayed. <laughs> they don't do it today either. Uh, you'll get a premium discount usually if you don't smoke. You get a premium discount on your car insurance if you keep it garaged. Some insurance companies will give you a discount if you have a relatively low mileage uh, on your car per year. But if you go and tell your insurance company, well, I pray over my car every morning when I drive it out of the garage, they're not going to give you a discount for that. Well, let me look at a much more recent piece of work um, in that period of 100 in 50 years, of course, our capacity for statistical analysis has improved significantly and computers enable us to do a lot more computation than ever we could. And so in the early 2000s, the Christian Templeton Foundation funded what was at that time the largest ever statistical study on prayer. And uh, they set up three groups of patients. These were patients who were having coronary heart bypass grafts. 
about 1,800 people in total, six, roughly 600 in each group. In one group, they received what they called intercessory prayer, but they didn't know for sure whether they were receiving intercessory prayer. Another group of patients didn't receive intercessory prayer, but they didn't know whether or not they were being prayed for. And in the third group, they were told that there would be people engaging in intercessory prayer over them. So it was a fairly well set up statistical research project. Here are their findings. And these are medical professors, by the way. There was a team of three lead researchers and there's another dozen or so who were involved in it. They concluded this, and I've got a copy of the paper if anybody wants to look at it. Our study had two main findings. First, intercessory prayer itself had no effect on whether complications occurred after coronary artery bypass graft surgery. Second, patients who were certain that intercessors would pray for them had a higher rate of complications than patients who were uncertain but did receive intercessory prayer. That research was reported in many, many different, both secular and Christian sources. And if, if you want to Google it, you'll find lots and lots of references not long after that research was published in 2006. And uh, in Australia, the psychology, I think it was the Psychology Association, reviewed this paper and some other research and said, well, if you want to pray, pray, but it should play no part whatsoever in medicine. Well, that was a bit depressing, hey? Now, as it turns out, there are all kinds of problems with this kind of research, which essentially says you can't really put God in a box and throw him through a computer and get some result out at the end. There have actually been a lot of studies of this kind. And uh, there was a, what's called a meta-study, which is a study of all the other studies that was published in 2014, which is the most recent one that I could locate. And it showed that there was a positive correlation between prayer and medical outcomes. And uh, often when there are positive associations between prayer and medical outcomes of one kind or another, uh, people start to try and explain it away. And often they explain it away by saying, well, what's going on here really? What we're just observing is the effects of positive community relationships. But I did read one paper that said, well, well, no, because if ever you observe people in sort of normal community relationships, they're nothing like the family relationship we have as Christians. We refer to one another as brothers and sisters. We refer to God as our heavenly father. And that makes a difference because there's a qualitative difference between the community, that is what I call the institutional church, and other types of community. 
But I do want to make another point. And I think this is really, really important. One of the reasons why it's very hard to pin down prayer in any particular statistical study is that I don't know whether many people know how to pray. I really don't. I think a lot of prayer is wishful thinking. Because we rarely study the Word of God to find out what makes prayer work. And there is no book or chapter in the Bible that says, here's the formula for prayer. It's not there. So we need to to delve into the Word. And I want to suggest to you today that if you believe the Bible, then prayer works, but we have to work prayer. Now, I've actually got a handout for you because I've got a lot of scripture today and uh, Miss Jeanette's busy colouring in the front row here. Um, well, I mean, she was all ready for the kids, you know, to be in church, so why not? She's going to use the colouring in pens. <laughs> I do have a lot of scripture today. And what, what I did uh, during the week and more intensively yesterday was have a look at scriptures concerning prayer and, and draw up a list, if you like, of what makes prayer work. What are the conditions under which prayer will succeed? Under which it won't just be wishful thinking or, or some kind of casual hope, but will be an action in which we believe that the answer has already been provided. So you'll be encouraged, I think, to know that there's a lot more do's than don'ts when it comes to prayer. And I I don't know for sure whether this is as comprehensive as it ought to be. I've I've tried to be pretty comprehensive, Um, but I'm not perfect. And uh, you may even have some suggestions that uh, we could add. Now, I've just arranged these alphabetically because I don't think there's a hierarchy of what's more important than, uh, than others. But I think these are things we ought to keep in mind when we pray. And, and maybe one of these days we can put together a group of people who really know how to pray and see if their prayer works. We'll see. So, the first thing there is to ask. Don't be afraid to ask God. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. If you like, there's a little formula in there and it is A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. A-S-K. Ask, seek, knock. Knock. Don't be afraid to go to God with your needs. Don't be afraid. The second is agree together. So find someone 
who can agree with you in prayer. This is Jesus speaking in Matthew 18, 19 to 20. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Well, when we get together with another believer, Jesus promises to be there. Now it's the Holy Spirit as as his agents, as it were. So what do we do? We get together and we agree. There's so much power in agreeing together. The next is to believe. Mark eleven twenty four. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Well, you can tell the mountains in your life to be removed to the depths of the ocean and they will have to move. I tell you, you can pray for anything and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Now that is qualified a little later on. Be steadfast. That is, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't let what other people say. Don't let what you might hear the experts say. Don't let your experience cause you to give up. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. Oh, I think it's actually, yes. No. Yes, it is. That's 16 to 18. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So it's not saying here that it's God's will that sometimes your prayer will be answered, sometimes it won't. God's will for you is to be thankful in all circumstances. That is to have an attitude of gratitude. No matter what your circumstances be thankful to God, not necessarily for the circumstance. It doesn't say be thankful for all circumstances. Jesus said, sorry, the, um, the writer of Thessalonians, Paul said, be thankful in all circumstances. That is, be thankful despite any negative circumstance that you might find yourself in. The next one is to confess your sins. This is a tough one. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So there's something in here about our need to get the sins off our chest if we want prayer for healing to be effective. This is what we have at the top of the prayer list in our weekly newsletter. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. 
Well, Jesus Christ makes us righteous. God sees us as the righteousness of God in Christ. We have to give that effect by owning up to our sins. And then we pray for each other so we may be healed. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. The earnest prayer, not the casual prayer, but the earnest prayer of a righteous person, someone who's owned up to their sin, has great power and produces wonderful results. Forgive. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. I think that's an ongoing thing, actually. You know, we've got to cultivate a practice of forgiveness. It's not easy. See, I think that the, the, the carnal human being always wants retribution. We, we see that in some of the marches, even in recent times, just even in this last week. You've seen some of the signs that women who were marching against the, um, the way in which women are treated so often in our society today. There was a great purpose, you know, the behaviour of men toward women should be called out when it's not godly. But there's this strong desire to punish people, whether they're innocent or not, actually, but to punish people. A strong desire for retribution. No forgiveness. Forgiveness is just as good for us as it is for the person we forgive. And I've said to you before, when you have something to forgive, that is when it's hardest. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. Have faith. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. That's in James chapter 1, verse 6. Be sure that your faith is in God alone. Now that doesn't mean you should never take prescription medicine or never go to the chiropractor or never see a psychologist. or any, it doesn't, It's not saying that at all. It's not saying that at all. But where, where is your faith? Where, is, where are you constantly looking for your provision, for your protection? Do you have a relationship with God, a constant, growing relationship that is never broken by any circumstance or experience? That's what it's saying. Be sure that your faith is in God alone. There are some translations that talk about double-mindedness. Right? Double-mindedness is it's, it's not being uncertain about things, 
but it's not having that constant relationship, that constant faith in God that won't be shaken by anything. Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea. Here's another one, and and this is what I know that I often talk about. Let his words abide. Jesus speaking to the crowd, recorded in John 15, verse 7. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. So this is about really becoming literally infused with the Word of God. It needs to become part of who you are. The Bible should never be a book on the shelf. It should never be an app you open on Sunday morning only. We need to be constantly in the Word of God. It's a living Word. God ministers to us through His Word. He brings personal revelation of His truth through the Word. Many of the translations actually use the word abide. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Uh, One reason why that is actually true is that if his words abide in you, you will know what he's promised. You will know what he's promised. You will know about healing promises. You'll know about financial blessing promises. You'll know about social promises. All of those things. You'll know about the promises if you allow the word to abide. Obey. Here's one we don't like very much. 1 John 3.22 And we will receive from him, that's from Jesus, whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. Obedience is not a word that we really like these days. You know, we're told that we're individuals and we should please ourselves. And In fact, much of the world is governed by a philosophy that effectively deifies the individual and makes the individual the most important person in the universe. And when we see ourselves like that, we're not obedient to anyone except to ourselves, primarily in the area of satisfying our own needs. We see that in the selfish or the self-centred world around us. But we are called to be different. We're not obeying 640 or so laws that we can discern in the Old Testament. That's not what it's about. 
It's really locking our heart into God's heart. Hearing from God and then doing as He says. I think one of the most dangerous prayers that we can ever pray for ourselves is, what would you have me do next, God? Because He'll tell you. And you might not like it. And then you have the choice, don't you, whether or not to obey. But, but if we really want our prayer to be effective, we actually need to have the courage to say, we're actually going to reject the philosophies of the world and we're going to choose to obey God. And even if you don't hear from God, and I know Christians who often complain, I don't hear from God. My, my response to that is, well, you do, because there's a lot, God's speaking a lot in here. And if you don't necessarily get, say, personal revelation when you're reading the Word of God, there's enough in here for you to know how to live your life according to His principles and precepts. And that's a good place to start the discipline of obedience pray according to his will now this is the one that modifies that ask anything in my name right and I will grant it to you we pray according to his will 1 John 5 verses 14 to 15 and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him many translations that is according to his will And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know he will give us what we ask for. Right? That's the truth. That is the truth. If we don't accept that, then we're rejecting the word of God as his truth. How do we know what is his will? We let his word abide in us and we abide or we live in Christ, then we will know his will. If we allow our minds, sorry, if we allow our lives to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by work of the Holy Spirit, then we will know what is the will of God for our lives. So pray according to his will. Pray in secret. And some translations say, you know, go into your closet. Well, I haven't got a lot of room in our closet because it's full of clothes. I've been telling Jeanette she needs to get rid of some. Because <laughs> you can hardly move in our closet. <laughs> but when you pray, did you say you should look at yourself? Work on your own stuff. Yeah, work on your own stuff. That's a bit biblical too, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit. (laughs) But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, I don't think that means we should never pray together corporately. But when we get down to the list of don'ts, it's, it's about not using prayer as an excuse to show off. That is, we're not looking for any kind of recognition. 
we're praying to God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the God of the universe. He's awesome, literally. Fills us with awe. Here it says, you just go and pray to him. You don't need an audience. You don't need any recognition. You don't even need another person on the planet to know that you are praying. Pray in tongues, Romans 8.26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. So when you don't know how to pray for somebody or for a situation, pray in tongues, spirit to spirit. Just pray in tongues. Let it flow. Let it flow. Pray too for interpretation. It's always good to do that. And of course, if we pray in tongues publicly, we really need to have interpretation. That's a biblical principle. So don't be afraid to pray in tongues if you really don't know what to pray for or how to pray about your situation. And the last on our list of do's is use Jesus' name. He, in, he says this, recorded in John 14, 13 to 14. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son of God can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Don't you love that? And just remember that the anything is in accordance with the will of God. And that's not a, a capricious thing. The will of God is very clearly set out in the Bible. We know what his will is and we pray accordingly. Well, that's the list of do's. There's a lot of do's on the list, isn't there? Happily for us, the list of don'ts, at least what I can discern, is pretty short. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Indeed, pray about everything. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Oh, whoops, I've done that. I've done it already. Sorry. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So instead of taking time Wasting emotion on worry. Pray about it. Take it to the Lord. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he has done. And by the way, all he's going to do. Because we can be sure he's going to respond with a yes. And don't use flowery words. You don't need a PhD to be able to pray. Jesus criticised the hypocrites. When you pray, a hypocrite simply means actor. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, 
That is all the reward they will ever get. But whenever you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on like the Gentiles do. So he's having a crack at both the Jews and the Gentiles here, isn't he? They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So we don't need to stand up and shout and holler so that everybody knows we don't have to go red in the face. We don't have to shout till we go hoarse. We don't have to do any of that. Because God's already got our attention. I mean, sorry, we've already got God's attention. We don't have to do anything to get his attention. Seriously. He's never too busy to attend to our prayer. And we don't have to babble on. We don't have it. doesn't even have to be a long prayer. And here's one that's not on the list. And um, what I what I always try to do is to get everything ready for Sunday by Saturday night, and then I get up early on Sunday and go through everything. And uh, the Lord brought to my remembrance a pretty important passage for husbands. Listen to this. This is one Peter three seven, and it 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 really rounds off quite a discussion that. Um, uh, Peter has about relationships partly within marriage but partly relationships as Christians so if he kind of wraps it up by saying this in the same way you husbands must give honour to your wives treat your wife with understanding as you live together she may be weaker and that's physical physical weakness she may be weaker than you but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. So for some of us, we need to take note of that, don't we? That if we don't... <laughs> Thumbs up down the front here. That, that's the best point I've made all morning, is it, Jeanette? No. <laughs> but you know, take the Bible seriously. If we want our, as, as, if we blokes want our prayers to be unhindered, then we need to look very carefully at our relationship with our wives. Because if we're not treating her as an equal partner in God's gift of new life, then our prayers will be hindered. Other translations talk about we're, we're, we're equal heirs of the promise or we're equal heirs of grace. No hierarchy. And uh, don't tell your wife she has to submit to you. And if I find out that you've done that, I'm liable to take you out for coffee and give you a special private <laughs> sermon on the full teaching of the Bible on how men are supposed to relate to women. And I'm still working on it, by the way. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm still getting there. 
but I don't want my prayers to be hindered, so I'm very conscious that the way I treat Jeanette is one of the factors involved. Now, I wanted to run through that list because I think that helps us understand why it's pretty unlikely we're ever going to be able to resolve the issue of whether prayer works by statistical studies. Because how are you ever going to get people in a room who know all that? You know what I mean? There's a lot in that, isn't there? And so I, I think it's worth meditating on those scriptures and doing everything we can to build our prayer life around those principles, not just one or two of them, but the whole constellation of principles that we find in the Word of God. And I've only used one Old Testament scripture. If you notice that, there's just one reference to Proverbs on the list. And, and we could pull Old Testament scriptures out as well, but I wanted to focus on uh, New Testament because we are post-resurrection uh, people. We're post-resurrection Christians. So have a look and see what was written uh, about what Jesus said and about what the apostles said. So I don't feel discouraged when highfalutin statistical research doesn't necessarily bear out what we expect based on our understanding of the Word of God. I, I honour people for trying. I think it's a noble enterprise. And um, certainly there's lots and lots of research that does suggest that a good, solid prayer life and the fellowship that we enjoy as brothers and sisters under Father God makes a significant difference. But let's perhaps agree that one of the things we need to do as individuals and as a body corporate is to kind of lift our game when it comes to prayer. So God bless you. Thank you for being here. I'm expecting to hear lots of great testimonies, especially from the husbands about how well their prayer is working now. <laughs> but um, and always remember that God is filled with grace. And he accepts us just as we are. And you know what? He even answers our imperfect prayers because he loves us. Well, God bless you. Let's go and enjoy some community time down there in the heat.